your host Katie and I'm Tracy and today we have our guest Aaron Aaron Bye. is here reading Wolf Speaker with us um, so today we're working through Wolf Speaker chapters two and three because we went really slow through chapter one uh, but before we jump in you can follow us on social media we are on Twitter Instagram and Facebook mages of the air we also have our website up I'm very happy with that guys Google sites it's so great and we've got a Patreon set up. So if you feel like you'd like to financially support the podcast, we'd really appreciate that. We do pay for all the cost of hosting and running and all those other fun associated little podcasty things. Um, so any money that you send us goes right back into the podcast. We can get better microphones and recording equipment, maybe soundproof our individual spaces a little more, or even get some studio space when uh, things calm down. So Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website, Reach out, let us know what you're thinking. We want you to be a part of this podcast. As we do every week, we are drinking tea while we talk. My tea of the week. I'm back with the, what's it called? Marketplace um, cinnamon and orange decaf black tea. As we've discussed, I cannot have much caffeine. As you can probably hear, I typically don't need much caffeine and people are very happy that I avoid it. What else are we drinking, guys? I'm going back to my old favorite. I'm doing the Duke's Just Dessert Lemon Meringue. This time, I put honey and milk in it, and so it actually tastes like lemon meringue pie. So good. <laughs> I'm actually drinking uh, a tea punk tea. Where are they based out of again? Well, they are out of Texas. We love them. We've, we've gushed yes. about tea punk. You can find their teas that we've talked about on our website, too. But I am, I am drinking their, their Happy Hanukkah Herbal Blend today. So anyway, I need nice to order one. more from them. Like, I'm hoping they're still shipping with all of this going on. That would be awesome. I, I believe they are. I spoke with them at the last convention before things shut down. And I was like, hey, we love your tea. We're talking about it on our podcast. I'm going to buy a bunch right now. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> and then the convention <laughs> like, shut down hours later. <laughs> yeah, you don't need the caffeinated ones. Here's the herbals. <laughs> we are in Wolf Speaker, the second book in the Immortals Quartet. We finally remembered what I said of four books is called. <laughs> it only took too many episodes. <laughs> Quadrology? I don't I'm gonna, know. I'm going to think our uh, our Tamora Pierce like page that we're on because that's actually where I read it. And people kept talking about the quartet. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. I've only been reading these since sixth grade. I have no idea what they're called. Um, we'll speak of them. A second in the Dane series. So... Aaron, this is his first read-through. Uh, for me and Tracy, this is our 89th read-through or something like that. That we're all noticing different stuff. So want to jump right into it. Um, just kind of broad strokes. What did y'all think about these two chapters? I, weirdly enough for me, like chapter two, I was kind of like, eh, okay. And then when it got into chapter three, I was like, oh yeah, chapter three. Like it was one of those, as I started reading it, the more I was like, oh yeah, I like this chapter. <laughs> it was really exciting. Chapter two is definitely a setup chapter. It, yes. There's, there's a lot of dialogue that may not be necessary for the entire plot, but it does move it forward so that chapter three isn't as confusing. Mm -hmm. I think I, I wrote down a lot about the world building as well. And just, again, we're reestablishing characters that we met in Wild Magic, um, but we're also showing the character growth and how these characters have changed through the course of that book and then in the few months since that book. Mm -hmm. And we're so also, this right is, off the bat, 
our first time meeting a couple characters that we've just heard talked about. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I love uh, one thing I just finished reading and I was like, oh, I love her wolf names. <laughs> so like our alpha male is Broke Fang. And right off the bat, you just read it and you're like, Broke Fang, that's cool. And I'm like, oh, he probably has a broken thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they mentioned that in the description of him, actually, when he walks up at first. But so. he still sounds like a scary take charge wolf. Like, it's an excellent wolf name. Yeah, what are you talking I like the one Battle. <laughs> There's yeah. a wolf named Battle. And I'm like, can we get more on that story? Like, where did you get the name Battle from? Mm-hmm. And then Frostfur and Rattail. Yeah, screw Frost- um, Frostfur. I hate that freaking <laughs> <laughs> wolf. Literally in my in notes, dog. I'm like, she's she just a jerk. She is okay. So, she's uh, this- very superstitious. It feels like yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, she's superstitious, and she reminds me of like one of those crazy parents that is like, I'm gonna just keep my kids with me, and I want them to hate everybody else. Like, and I mean, like. I, I feel like there's a scary movie out there somewhere where this is a thing or a TV show and it's like right on the tip of my tongue, but it's really popular where this is a thing and I can't remember it. No bells I, wrong, but I don't like scary things. So it, it, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know. I think I know the movie you're talking about. I just can't remember what all. Yeah, but it's like an entire thing, but it's like a character that's exactly like Frostburn. <laughs> Carrie. So. Carrie? Stephen King. Is it Carrie? I thought Carrie was about a teenager. Is it not? Yep. Uh, I'm thinking yeah, about... The mom is very... Yeah, Carrie. The mom is very much a... You need to be exactly like I want you to be, and you can't leave the house, and you can't do this and that. And It's it's a Teenage Rebellion story, but Stephen King. Okay. I have not read or seen that, so that sounds terrifying. I just... So I'm I'm a movie person, so a lot of times I just go through and read synopsis on the movie, especially when it's a scary movie. <laughs> Because I'm like, I can't stand to watch it because I just cried when we watched Doctor Who because I got so scared. But I will know what happens in this movie. So, A Quiet Place, read that one. <laughs> Not even going near that one. Uh, I, can't, I can't do tense. I'm already a just incredibly anxious mess. So, so yeah. Broke Fang and Frostfur. Um, This chapter, we start out with Broke Fang showing them the mining and that their soldiers on the north and south of the valley. That's what he's telling them about. And Numera is like, uh, how many soldiers? Because legally they get 40. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that um, because it kind of just reminded me of, you know, here in the States where we have the right to have a militia and the right to bear arms and all of that. Um, just thinking about this medieval European style country where the king is like, you get this many people because otherwise you might have a rebellion on our hands. And then we meet Frostfur and my notes says she is rude. No, my okay. notes definitely say she is a snob that always gets what she wants. That's what she sounds like to me. She is mean and I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> like Frostfur as a person is going to have platinum blonde hair, really cool icy makeup. And wear big fluffy fur jackets dripping with diamonds. Basically the like jerk girlfriend in every rom-com ever. Yeah. Well, she reminds me of like that bully at school. Like I was like, I've known so many frost furs in my life. 
which is really terrible. But then I started thinking, I was like, maybe I was like, I wonder if it's my like Dane's dislike for Frostfur that we kind of get introduced to first because we're seeing everything like mostly through her experience is what makes me not like her so much because I was wondering if like thinking about her from the aspect of like a parent or a mom or whatever like that where they're just trying to protect their family and protect their pack if I would appreciate her more and then I was like I'm not in that mindset so I just don't like her <laughs> well and Numir is like well he's glad to see her and Dane is like ugh that's Frostfur she's a cross fidgety animal who never accepted Dane mm-hmm. so there's a level of just she's mean and Broke Fang knows that because Broke Fang is like, hey, you'll feel better when we're all together. Calm down. But it's also something you need in the boss female of a wolf pack. Yeah, because I couldn't see like Fleetfoot taking over anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and if they're going to have to fight, Frostfur needs to be able to defend herself, her pack, and her pups. So she's got to be tough. And I did think she made an interesting point she said the pack never was the same after you left how much will you change us this time Mm -hmm. and so in that I hear a little bit of that fear of change but I feel like it's valid because they're changing from being like wolves to being more like people and the last time Dane was there they lost half the pack yeah before everything was over well and there's a very visible she can see that it's going to change them because all she has to do is look at Cloud. Mm-hmm. Well, and Broke Thing. Broke Thing doesn't yeah. think like a wolf anymore. We'll get more details later. But yeah, Dane's presence changes the animals. And then the course of action that follows Dane also changes them. They have to react in different ways. They are much more involved in human affairs than they would have been if they hadn't spoken to Dane. Yeah. So she does have valid concerns. Doesn't mean she's not mean. I was like, she's because the next section where she's sitting there and she literally straight up says, "All we need was Dane. You didn't need to bring us food like we're dogs," and literally (laughs) threatens to eat everybody. I'm like, like you're mean. (laughs) But kitten comes to the defense. Cloud comes to the defense, and like Dane. And what's crazy to me, and we kind of see this, is we know Dane is capable. That if she just wanted to be like Frostfur, submit. I'm done with your crap. I'm done with all of this. Like, no, you're down. She could do it. But she doesn't, because Dane isn't that person. I'm that person. Dane is not that person. Frostfur's that person. Frostfur's trying to make Dane submit. And we and see Dane it. Is like, no. Yeah, and we get a really good example of it later, um, where mm-hmm. she tries, she literally tries to make her submit, which is crazy. Oh, they wander through. Uh, we get to hear a little bit about what they're seeing, mountain sheep and wolverines. And then they find this meat. And this was so interesting. So the wolves find the meat, and instead of eating it, they're all marking it, including the females. And Dana's like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And then a broke fang replied, one of the two-leggers is a hunter of wolves. He leaves poisoned meat on our trails. We are telling him what we think of this. When he comes to check the meat, he will curse and throw things. It is fun to watch. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. And I like how it's strange enough that even Numair's like, uh, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and then the, the horses join in. The horses are like, all right, well, we don't like Frostfire, but the rest of these guys seem fine. We'll help out. We'll make it extra weird. <laughs> and I like these moments of just like funny. They're, they're funny. There's just nice little funny moments. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, a, it's a funny levity in like a kind of serious situation, which is, <laughs> it's a good balance between the two of them. So we're walking, a lot of walking here. I mean, at least it's not 18 chapters of camping in a forest, but heading in that direction. 
Not um, yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. And like this book moves a lot quicker than that. Yeah. So they go, they walk through the trail and they go and they take a cutoff and then um, they come to the rest of the wolves and the pups come out and play and the pups are so scared of poor Dane, which I think this is the first animal that we've actually seen be scared of Dane. <laughs> or they're scared of the yeah. strangers. Um, Prosper, I knew bringing strangers was a mistake. She's such a jerk. <laughs> she makes me so, so mad. The come. They meet Dane and they're pretty quick friends, but then they're all scared of Kitten. And Kitten is so sad. Yeah. And then another wolf is like, why are they scared of, doesn't this, she knows they're just babies. And Dane has to be like, well, Kitten is a baby too. <laughs> they're all babies together. And then and little Russet goes and hangs out with Kitten me. and they become buds. So cute. Mm -hmm. And I like Russet. Good wolf. Mm -hmm. Dane is going to watch the puppies. Uh, the pups. They're not really puppies anymore. There's like, these are like preteen wolves, teenage wolves. Yeah, they still have, some of them still have baby fur on them, but like not all of them have baby fur on them. And they're kind of, you know, it's like when ducks start getting losing their goose down and stuff like that. They're little well, they, ducks they, explain it, they explain it a little bit where they describe the pups as having started to lose their milk teeth and started to get their mm -hmm. meat. Yeah, which so is they're, a, they're almost to that they can go hunt with the pack. Dane and Numer, they still need babysitters though, so they're gonna babysit. And then I really didn't write down much here. Oh, I did like how they called Dane the girl who is pack. That's her name in the wolf the wolf community. They're like trying to make friends with the wolves, and they bring out bacon. <laughs> and it's just universal, right? Someone starts cooking bacon, and everyone gathers around, and they're true. Everyone who's not me gathers around and enjoys the bacon. <laughs> It's just, it's cute though, but I like, I mean, all dogs do that. It's so freaking cute. Okay, all people do that. Most people. <laughs> bacon is like a community thing, because even if you're not a huge fan of the flavor, you're very picky about your bacon. Yeah, we Someone do get... cooking it, and everyone comes around to talk. In this section, we do actually get Dane's first, she senses something that has a nasty undertone to them in her mind, like the taint of old blood, which and is disgusting. And instantly you're like... Isn't it Stormwings? But it's not Stormwings. Like, there's another thing out there, like Stormwings. So after that, Brokefang comes back and they, what did I, in my notes, I've said this like 15 different ways. I was like, oh, they mind meld. They mind join. They brain join. Like, I could not pick a turn of phrase to use for this. <laughs> Borrowing. Dane borrows. If you're in the Terry Pratchett universe. I like how Dane says she's good. She kind of rides with them mm -hmm. for a little bit. And that ends up being her terminology, I think. Yeah. And with that, this is something I found really interesting. It's kind of like how you were pointing out with they talk about the girl who is pack, but then they say the horses who are not prey. <laughs> the difference yeah. in those two sentences, because like the very easily cloud, because she's been with them for so long, could be you know the horse who is pack or whatnot like that, or they could identify them as that. But no, they're just... They're not prey. They're not pack, but they're not prey. Mm -hmm. And I thought I that was this, really interesting. I, I like this wolf's perspective. Um, I thought that was so creative, just thinking about the different things a wolf is going to notice, noticing the elk meat breaking down in the stomach, noticing all the puppies, the smells and the sounds. It's very descriptive. And Dane's only with Brokefang for just a minute. 
But that's one of the things I love about Tamora Pierce is she always does a really good job describing this one, whether it's Dane flying out across, like mentally flying out across the area like we see in Wild Magic or like something like this where she's describing what she's seeing. You really get, and in my head, I always take those sections and read them slower. And I don't know, I feel like I'm more engrossed in them, which I think is really awesome. And I like to... Kind of moving back, she described Dane's learning process. So in the very first time, she's trying to use her magic, like blue. And this time she quits trying to use magic and she just listens and calms down. And then she's in Brokebane's mind. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Which on that, is anybody else afraid that like this would give Dane a false sense of security? Because she didn't try to use, she tried to use magic with Cloud, but then with Brokefang, she didn't. And so I feel like she thinks, oh, I can meld with Brokefang because we're closer together versus I feel like there's no animal she's closer with than Cloud. And the reason she didn't is because she just never tried not to use magic. Mm -hmm. I think, I like the point about prey and hunter versus grazer Mm -hmm. and how Dane was practically a wolf when she was mad. And yeah. so maybe she is more attuned to wolves in a way she's not as attuned to horses. Like she's always worked with horses, seen them as partners. Yeah. But then we get that section in Wild Magic where she like almost runs with the herd pretty yeah. easily. I, I think there's a difference between melding with someone's thought processes and your your soul essentially going and running with them. And there's actually been studies of uh predator minds and prey minds and how they they do work different that's really cool (laughs) i like the physique on that though like when they talk about like horses versus predators anyways sorry you and hans need to talk (laughs) Uh, i am a trivial pursuit guy i i I have information it may not be relevant (laughs) we get to learn a little bit about magic next so dane celebrates really happy she goes to sleep and in the morning um, new mayor is telling her that there's an occult net over the valley that's hidden by the Ara from the city of gods. And he's like, this is fishy. So new mayor is starting to rack up different things. There's too many soldiers. There's a net over the valley. So something's going on here that the king probably needs to know about. And then they Dunlap is a secret within a secret. And I was like, oh, secretception. Because I'm five. <laughs> um, they they talk about the magical theory and then dane goes Stormwings patrols two forts a magical net what has fife dunlap got that needs so much protecting and new mayor's like ah we're going to go see the north valley <laughs> because then we get this really cute section where they talk to brokefang brokefang's like yeah i'm gonna take you and they were gonna leave mangle poor little mangle with all these wolves who is terrified and little kit is like nah i'll stay with you friend <laughs> And Dane's like, that's a dragon. She'll be fine. We don't have to worry about her. There are a lot of instances in these first two chapters that just show the intelligence of of Kitten. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she understands her place. Though she is upset that the pups don't like her, there is this sense of understanding that I'm higher on the chain than they are. I'm somewhat more dangerous than them. Yeah, I'm kind of scary, guys. And she's she's just so attuned to all of that. And we get a comment about it later from Dane where I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they're traveling. And what they come across, this is kind of 
where I stuck for a bit of this chapter. There's few trees, everything's been mined and logged. There's big roads cut into the dirt. There's huge pits between mounds of dirt. Men and ogres alike toiled here. Some pulled dirt-filled carts out of the pits. Um, and these are black yawning holes of the mines. So this is all like dystopian kind of stuff. This is not pleasant, happy, Snow White's Dunlap. Well, none and of then it's... anywhere she looked, she saw ogres. Yeah, and, and none of it's described in a pretty light, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. The ogre's usually straggly hair was chopped to rough stubble. And Dane points out she normally would be fighting ogres. Normally they fight. But these ogres are being used as beasts of burdens, as slaves, and they appear to be at the mercy of the armed humans. And then we see there's barracks on the lake. And I thought this was interesting. Human and ogre children played under the watchful eye of an ogre female. So it's not just immortals who are being enslaved here or being kind of held here. We see there's humans working, but humans are working alongside the immortals, which implies some sort of human level of understanding and reasoning. Mm -hmm. And that if the children can all just be lumped in to play together, these species are not that far apart from one another. Yeah. I just like that. Well, it's like when you, when you get to the point where you're, and I mean, we see this all throughout history where people are treating living beings and things as slaves, or sorry, living beings as things and slaves, you stop recognizing the difference between a thing that can be tossed away and a living creature that needs love, affection, health care, food, for crying out loud, clothing, <laughs> toothbrushes, things like that. And she does a really good job pointing that out. What hit me in this chapter was where after the ogre, one of the ogres fall and they start to whip it, Dane turns her head away and she talks about the lake and and she says, in the lake she heard death. Filth lay in the water, garbage from the town and fort, waste dirt from the mines. The fish gasped for air in the lake's northern waters. Their kinfolk in cleaner water went hungry as food sources die. And I think this is really important because a lot of people don't realize that if you cause, oh, it's the minnows are gone. That's not a big deal. The minnows are gone because of micro pollutions. Well, no, that is a big deal because who eats the minnows? Bigger fish, you know? And this was a really good view of just how that chain happens and the chain of command. Guys, we all took biology. <laughs> we all know how ecosystems work. <laughs> Right. No, I um, I went and looked at the date the book was published when I read this, because this is so much of what I learned in my environmental science classes, in my um, environment and Anthropocene science fiction class, best class ever. And so this was published in 94. So by now, like, the environmental movement is moving. People know it's a thing, but it's not quite the mainstream concern that we see it as now in 2020. And 94, this was still kind of like, oh, it's crunchy granola nut jobs who care about this stuff. But at least where I'm from, which is a more conservative area. We're from country. Texas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just uh, leave that at that. <laughs> Lots of good things in Texas, but not many people are super environmentally minded. And so I like this description. And I've always been one of those people that's like, hey, we need to take care of nature, pick up your trash. We need to have a safe place for the animals. And there's all these important things about nature. And I I do wonder how much of that just kind of seeped in through reading these books where the characters do care about the land. And we'll get a, we'll get a good description of why you need to care about that later. Um, But yeah, just 
this happens. This happens in our lakes now. This is happening in our ocean where pollution in one section just throws everything off. Mm-hmm. And it's a big problem. Yeah, so, no. These books were a big influence and I'm you will I'm surprised I didn't get a text message from you when you read it because in chapter three there is a part where I'm like, I'm ninety-five percent of sure this is the reason I say this. These books are a huge influence just all over the place, from the way I speak to a lot of the ways I think and even from the way I eat and stuff like that. So yeah, we get to see the destruction. We get to. We see the destruction. We witness it. We have to. New America gives us some education about opals. And Important education about opals. opals. Particularly mm-hmm. black opals. Black opals like this one are the best. They store magic or you may use the stone to increase the strength of a spell. I saved for years to purchase this. Emperor Ozorn has a collar made of them. Six rows threaded on gold wire. And I'm like, hmm. Or Ozorn has an opal mine somewhere that nobody knows about. Dunlap is being strip mined. Hmm. Hmm. I think Dunlath is is more recent because Numair does comment that there was mines there that had been essentially bled dry already. So Jim. Ozorn has something else somewhere else, maybe? We don't know because he won't tell people. <laughs> and we don't really know what's going on here yet, but maybe opals. And we find out there was an earthquake last fall and a cliff fell and they brought in a mage to blast away more of the more of the mountain and find out what's there. So there's something valuable here. They are mining it and the king does not know about it. And that's not okay. They're expanding the mines. And then Brokefang says, now you see why we need you. This must stop. It will stop soon. There will be no game and everyone here will starve. Even the ones who ordered it. So the wolves are very concerned and Dane and Numer are gonna go and they're planning to go down to the castle. They wanna get more information. Oh, wait, they're not going to the castle yet. Nope. Wait, I that. <laughs> Dane and Numer decide that they need to learn more, and Numer needs to get word out to King Jonathan. So they are going to return back to camp. And and I did make a note of this about the hunting. Uh, Dane talks about her, her philosophy of hunting. Yeah, and I actually in my notes. You a lot this part. <laughs> what did you think about the hunting philosophy, Tracy? This is kind of your thing. I thought it was very interesting, and especially knowing, like, that's one of the things I remembered from later. But it just basically made me sit there and go, "I am Dane," because Dane's philosophy is she doesn't, she won't call the animals, which we do mm-hmm. see this philosophy kind of challenged later. But she won't call animals to her. She says, "I am a hunter. I eat this meat and I make my kills quick." And I don't do it for trophy hunting. And that's a big, big thing for me. I come from a family of hunters. I'm dating a hunter. Like, we don't do trophy hunting. We hunt what we need to eat, and then that's it. We don't, I mean, I haven't had, especially since I've been down here, I haven't had farm-raised meat at all in months. And it's amazing and fantastic and so much better for you. But a lot of people that I know do trophy hunting, where they'll literally go, like, kill something, take a picture of it, and then leave it there to die. And that's not a thing. That's not something you should do. If you're not going to kill something to sustain your life, then don't do it. Plain and simple, which I, I agree with Dane on that. Like I said, there's a lot of things that influence my life that came from these books. <laughs> mm-hmm. That That is so bizarre. So my dad grew up and his entire family's in Oklahoma, just like right outside of reservation. So he grew up with the, if you kill it, you use all of it. Mm-hmm. There's no waste. No, it's a big thing. Like, we take it, we use the tracheas to make dog treats and liver treats and, like, a whole bunch of different things. 
it's a thing though where people will just kill it and leave it and i the first time i saw it i was my mind was blown i was like how 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 do you do this how can you just let this go to waste and somebody i was like well, why didn't you just you know take it and eat it and they were like well i'll just go to the store and get food then i don't have to process it or skin it or do anything like that and i'm like i was literally at a loss for words i was like if i could hit you right now i would there are so <laughs> many so many butcher shops that you could just donate that to them and they would do all the work and if they don't sell it they'll just take it home mm-hmm. or donate it themselves you can donate it to me I'll make chili. <laughs> I don't right. even know where we so, are anymore. <laughs> on that note, Dane's hunting philosophy camp. It's nearly dark. The pack is gone. She cooks a rabbit. Two rabbits. Okay, and then she does the ride along with Russet, and we get uh, a deeper description of just what wolves are noticing. And I liked it. Talked about the scent of the trench Dane and Numer used as a privy, and how that it's not a bad smell. It's just interesting that's cute that section there's a lot of interesting things in that section including but not limited to kittens sorting through pebbles and muttering to herself because that was <laughs> adorable <laughs> and it, we just get to see dane working on this skill so that's always interesting mm-hmm. and she's like uh it's so sad that i can't hear like a wolf or smell like a wolf but at least i can see in color bright side dane looking on the bright side <laughs> oh, Tracy's like this is optimistic and I'm like guess what's coming guys yay Aaron doesn't know that. <laughs> Aaron that's foreshadowing I like the stink face Aaron is giving you right now <laughs> no that's my confused face yes, I, don't know what's I was happening. gonna say Aaron's trying to figure it out and remember <laughs> I've just given up on trying to remember <laughs> so- Okay. Oh, and I love the so the wolves come back and they've fed on a sheep that had strayed from its flock. And Dane's like, but that's what makes two leggers hunt you. And Brooke thinks like, it's cool. We finished eating and then we sunk sunk all the bones in a marsh and then we dragged leafy branches over the place where we killed it. And Dane is like, um, those are not wolf thoughts. I'm yeah. more concerned about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because the further, the more we interact with these wolves, the more we realize that they have taken on this human-esque intelligence, which we do tend to see animals that are around Dane for a long time get that. And it's making them less and less wolfy mm-hmm. and it makes them more disconcerting to people around them. And so Dane is like, uh, people going to kill you because they're going to think you're werewolves or something. Yeah. It gets super bad. I don't It's just, it's all bad. Mm-hmm. And that actually reminded me of um, a book by Carrie Wolf that I read in graduate school. Let me find the title. Do do do. Caitlin's book recommendations. Beyond the Law: Humans and Other Animals in a Biopolitical Frame. It was so good, though. It's talking about human intelligence versus animal intelligence, and like what kind of rights do animals have? Do animals even have rights? Like politically, do they have rights? What what do we owe them as humans? Um, and so I feel like that's a cool conversation that these books do bring up because Dane's talking to animals. She's empathizing with animals. The animals she's around gain more human emotions. And modern researchers are always like, hey, don't anthropomorphize your animals. Animals are not humans. They're very different. But then we have studies where psychologists are like, yeah, we can call what dogs feel for their owners love. There's enough parallels that, and enough similar things go off in the brain. We can call that love. And so that's always this just, constant question is you know what are animals owed 
-hmm. what do they deserve what should we what can we do to move forward ethically in our interaction with animals personally i cannot become a vegetarian um yeah (laughs) i don't have access to gain meat to get the nutrition that i would need but i can think about where i get my meat from and i can agitate for more ethical ethical farm raising practices ethical slaughtering practices ethical chicken keeping practices all that stuff so ethics tamra pierce right here who needs chidi's course when you have tamra pierce (laughs) i say when i was in school i read about how we all came from fish that was a book i read about it was a real book (laughs) It was a real book. It was a real book. They didn't get banned. They let your school teach that. They didn't let my school teach that. My school taught that. We all came from fish. It was a real thing. Yep. (laughs) I got to find it and give it to you because you'd be like, huh? Yeah, I I missed out on that too. I was homeschooled on Christian (laughs) scholastic material. Homeschooled. Your family was even more religious than mine. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we've compared a few times and I'm still like, I still consider myself religious. I still believe a lot that I was taught as a child, but I've also found a lot of space for science within my faith and almost that like science supports my faith. And I have some thoughts on this. We'll come back around to with how faith fits into how you should treat animals. Spoilers. You should treat them more ethically (laughs) in the morning. Dane and Numer are going to ride to town and see what they can learn. So they get to town and they're talking to the innkeeper and he's like, hey, I want two rooms with a locked door between them. Two adjoining rooms with a locked door between them. And the innkeeper's like, what? I don't get that. (laughs) And I love this because in the way this more appears writes, he spoke like a man used to the obedience of servants. (laughs) And that is so... <laughs> Not the new mayor we know. Down his nose at the man. People have sordid minds, Master Parlin. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like how Tamara Pierce recognizes this this theme of master student relationship mm-hmm. that's out there, and then immediately quashes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I absolutely love. It's great. There, that little section was so. There's so much like good detail in it, just with the way their relationship is, and then. How Numair, too, this kind of shows, like, how he's able to fit into this, like, upper class, whatever, kind of, you know, you'd forget he's a noble sometimes, and attitude, and then he's also like, I wear hair ties and sleep in mud, like, or dirt. Yes. <laughs> the, the Tortal and nobility structure is just so weird already. I can see how Dane just gets confused. Mm-hmm. So confused, because I get confused. Well, and they make it a point to say... This is not how it is everywhere. This is not normal. But at the heart of our kingdom, we have a king who is much more concerned with justice, with recognizing, you know, the equal attributes of men and women, with bringing in people who are talented and intelligent and loyal and hardworking rather than rewarding people just for being noble. Yeah. And as we work through the books, we see more and more where John has to go with tradition and he, he does have to back up the claim that to nobles and stuff. But often he's very progressive and pushing for more rights for more people. Yeah. And Numer's right in there where Numer's like, yeah, I know how to do all this stuff. I'm going to throw on the noble cloak right now. 
because I need that to get stuff done. Very much what happens. So then they go upstairs and they take their showers. They're waiting for lunch. And then cute, adorable little Kit (laughs) is so curious about a little lock. And she whistles and whoop, the door pops open. And I love that. Did I know she could do that? And Dane's like, nope, didn't know she could do that. Kitten's like, I can look at Numer's room now. Yay. It's like <laughs> well, my son. When um when he's done with playing time with daddy and he's like, where's mommy? I think mommy's more interesting right now. I'm going to go find her. And then he'll start banging on this door. <laughs> or he'll push stuff out of his way because he's like, I'm done in here. I need something. <laughs> It, it's interesting because Kitten doesn't immediately use her magic, though. She yeah. does try to open the door and take the lock <laughs> before she resorts to, oh, this is too difficult for me, but I still want to be in there. And then she gives a soft trill and then she opens the door. Which it's like what you were saying. She, it really shows her like how connected she is to her environment and understanding that because like though magic is the thing that's used in Tortal, it's not used by everybody so she's already a weirdo because she's dragon <laughs> so she's like i'm gonna make myself a little more normal or at least try to before she does that. she's pretty smart pretty smart dragon <clears throat> very smart dragon mm-hmm. all right so then we find out they've been invited to dine at the castle and dane does not have a dress they have to go get Dane a dress. This poor dress. Sorry. Poor Dane in this dress. I wonder if this... I love it. The dress was pink muslin with lace at the collar and cuffs. Y'all ever messed with muslin? It is not comfy. That no. is not nice. <laughs> and it's pink. The only time I have, I have messed with muslin and not worn muslin is my wife is a fashion design major. And that's what they use to rough out the designs. Yeah. It's terrible. And I feel like she acts, I don't know if she accidentally got put in this outfit or what, but she's in this like childlike itchy clothing. Like, you know, the like outfit you had to wear on Easter Sunday that you hated. That's what this reminds me of right now. And I feel so bad for her because she's 14. (laughs) She's in this, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in these terrible clothes anymore. Mom, stop making my clothes from home. Yeah. (laughs) All they had. All they had at the same dress. I'm like, who was this dress for originally? Why are we making a pink muslin dress? Who's going to buy that? Maybe maybe it saves some other 14-year-old from a terrible dress. Maybe. Hopefully. So she has to wear the terrible dress. Kitten can't go with them. So Kitten's mad. Everybody's angry. And they go up. And I liked this. Behind those doors, a man was saying, no wolves like the back of my hand. I tell you, they've got to be werewolves or summit from the divine realms. They don't act as wolves should act. See this and this laughing at me. That's what they're doing. We have now confirmed Dane's fears that the huntsman is onto the wolves. Yep. And I love while he's sitting there complaining about this. Well, I guess it's a little after that, but I'm really terrible with names, y'all. So in my notes, it actually just says, and a bunch of people get introduced that I'm not aware of right now. (laughs) Yeah, we go through all these introductions and it's a bunch of nobles. Um, and before them is a man in rough leather. And I love the wolfhounds. They wander over to Dane. And she's like, hi. And he's like, those are not ladies' dogs. They are fierce hunters. And Dane is like, uh-huh. As she pets them all. And she goes, you're a lovely dog. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I like, I will say I like, and I want to look at this because I want to look at it again later. So we get Yolan. Yolan? Yolane? Yolane. We're going to go with Yolane. Yolane. 
her description, she's beautiful and elegant and pale-skinned and dark-haired, and she's the terrible Snow White. And then you have her sister, Mara, who is painfully plain, a stocky build with straight brown hair, attired, attired in a blue dress that fit badly. Oh, man. <laughs> Remember that description, because we're going to come back to it. That, but- was, that was me in fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, it's interesting, especially because I feel like this is a different description than what we've gotten of all of the other nobles and stuff like that. And we're not going to, I didn't want to talk about it, but the, or describe him, but the, the sister and her husband, whatever his name is, Belden, Lord Belden, they are so like finely pressed and stocky and they've got a, he's got a trimmed beard and she's covered and decked in jewels and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you obviously don't go anywhere because that's a pain to travel in. Like, Mm -hmm. It You've got a maroon brocade tunic. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. I've done the fabric shopping stuff. That's expensive. <laughs> yeah. So after, I was going to say, after after they introduce all the people and stuff, the dogs come and visit. The dog They get told to take those mongols out of there uh, or take those brutes away. This is a civilized gathering. And then we hear our lovely Namer is addressed by an old name. Aram? Is that Aram Draper? And I love, I love Numer's um, expletive here. Mithros, Minos, and Shaket. Oh, she's got the best names for her pantheon. <laughs> Tristan, or Numer gates at him. Tristan Staghorn. They told me you were still in Karthak with Ozorn. Dun, dun, dun. End of chapter two. This like immediately gives us a really clear picture of Tristan Staghorn. Uh, first of all, someone named Staghorn to me just seems kind of like Makes me think Baratheon. Intimidating <laughs> that. Um, but he was still in Karthak with Ozorn. And we're like, oh, wait, who's Ozorn? Ozorn's the evil guy that sent ships to try and kidnap Queen Fayad in the last book. The Karthak those Empire. Were sold to pirates. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that yet. Technically. Um, Technically. So right away, you're like, wait a minute. You seem like you're aligned with a bad guy. And you have a moderately intimidating name. And you're calling Numer by the wrong name. Don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. <laughs> All the red flags. So, chapter three is titled Fugitives. But they're not fugitives. They're in somebody's house. What are you talking about? That's crazy. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Good job, Aaron. <laughs> so, Ozorn, you're like, dun, dun, dun. And he goes, oh, Ozorn. No, I felt too restricted serving him i'm my own man now have been for a year and we're like are we supposed to congratulate you on that still makes me not trust him yeah and you know where (laughs) else he's been for a year Hmm. (laughs) i've done less (laughs) maybe (laughs) so they're all like what you know this man and tristan is like ah this is master numer salmeline once of the university at carfax now a resident at the court of Tortal. And I love Numer. Like, he sees Tristan. He's, like, taken in the scene of Yolaine and her finery and then her kind of plain sister. And he's instantly like, all right, I know how to do this. And it's like, again, that noble cloak comes on. How wonderful to find such beauty in and out of the world. Does King Jonathan know the finest jewel in Tortal does not adorn his court? <laughs> Tracy's face, y'all. That's She's so just like, oh, dripping huh? with... Cheese. Overly nicety and uh. 
I, and if you know Numair, you're like, hmm, that's yeah. really condescending. Yeah. In my notes, I said Numair threw on the cheese. Because <laughs> that's exactly what that was. Mm-hmm. And when heck- she eats it up. Well, I would say she she recognizes it as what it is because she says he does he can he does know how to turn a compliment, mm-hmm. which is not which is not the same as giving a compliment. He is turning it in, in a, a turn of phrase. Yeah, and then we get Tristan introduces or sorry, Yolaine is like, "Yo, that's not you didn't call him Numer earlier. You called him Iran." I like how we're getting like two different versions of this book. <laughs> Tristan's like, oh, yeah, he wanted some kind of a fancy name. So like any good person, he just changed his name. Well, actually, they tried to arrest him and then he had to change his name. Um, so he picked. Once he got master status, he picked new mayor. Yes. And, and then they're like, wait, you're wanted by the emperor of Karthak. You must have done something serious. And I love what new mayor says here. Explains it so well. The emperor is a very proprietor is very proprietary. Lady Elaine. He feels that if a mage studies at his university, the mage belongs to him. He looked at Tristan. I'm rather surprised to see you here. You were the best war mage in your class. And that's a little bit of like, mm-hmm. no, no, I know what's up. I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. But all very politely. <laughs> it's that so nice to each other. I love emails where people are sitting there like rudely or very nicely being rude to each other. That is what this reminds me of right now. Where I'm like, oh, y'all are so politely mean to each other. Good job. It's the life of being a teacher. <laughs> Dear parent, I'm writing to you regarding your student, blah, blah, blah. Something nice about your child. Now here is the problem. I would really appreciate it if you would address this with your student this evening. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you so much. Basically. So as they're as they're doing these introductions, this is where I really hated Yolaine. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't like you. Tristan notices Dane and <clears throat> new mayor being the gracious po- person he is, introduces her by her full name, poor Dane. And what does Yolaine catch on to? Her last name, Sarasari. She's like, Sarasari? Because what does that mean, as we get explained again, is that that means she is the daughter of Sarah, not that she has a dad. And I, again, she's the snobby bully from school. Like, that's exactly what she's like. And I think that's, like, I I might hate her more than I hate Prosper, genuinely. (laughs) And they're in one book together. Like, at least Prosper, you can explain she's trying to survive as a wild animal. In a harsh and unforgiving environment, Yolaine has no excuses for being this mean. None at all. And I love, though, Mara goes from the complete opposite. She's like, whoa, are you a wizard? Mm-hmm. He thinks so, it's super like cool. Mm-hmm. And before they get to talk too much, the manservant comes in and they're going to take them through the dinner. And this is interesting to me because this is kind of a social political thing here where in high society, the, the like the, the female that was owed the highest honor, was taken through into dinner first, usually by the guest of highest honor, if the male is the guest, or if the female is the guest, then by the host of the thing. We see this all the time in Jane Austen, where they're like, oh, well, so-and-so must go first. Oh, well, Emma, I'm sorry, you can't open the dance because Mrs. Elton is a bride, so she must open the dance. And so there's all these levels. So Numer, as the guest, is expected to take through Lady Yolaine because she's the highest-ranking official. And then Belden, 
is the next, you know, because he's the consort and he's going to take in the next highest lady. That's Mara. So he offers his arm to Mara. You mean Tristan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tristan offers his arm to Mara. And then Belden should take Dane through. But he doesn't. Because he's a jerk. Because he's negligent. He's negligent and lazy. And so right off the bat, we get this like, oh, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing socially. That's kind of a tip off that he's probably not doing what he's supposed to be doing as Lord of the Sea. Yeah, which I mean, with that, because I didn't know anything you just explained, Tamora Pierce does a really good job of doing, like, giving you those feelings without knowing all of that, I guess, because I, I learned something new, the more you know, today, so that was cool. And it's, like, really rude. That was a very rude thing to not take Dane through, and it was another snub on top of making fun of her last Yeah, which makes her just feel all left out and feel like a complete outsider which sucks because she'd been she'd been with literally the most royal of royalty in Tortal and felt completely accepted and loved and it's like I'm with the third cousin of the king and I feel like an outsider and then I like Tamara Pierce slips in a little bit of background information here and we find out what happens after the attack on pirate swoop we couldn't go to war because the king was unable to prove they were attacked by anyone other than pirates and the emperor claimed that the Carthaki war barges had been sold to... Why would you sell your Carthaki war barges to pirates with all of the Carthaki stuff still on them? Hmm? Why would you sell the AK rifles that you produce for your own wars to insurgents in other countries that still have your country's, you know, serial code data on it? Yep. <laughs> but no, no, no. The pirates did it. Wasn't Carthaki, it was the pirates. Sorry. Yeah. Damn pirates. <laughs> All those the pirate conspiracies over there. <laughs> oh, politics. All right. Hey, so I'm just happy I'm not a king or queen and I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So the dining hall is really large. It can seat an entire household. There's a head table and they've put Numair up on the head. Tristan and Lady Yolen. Um, and we meet a few other people up there, Alamed Mokolos and Gisa of Rachni. I did not look up the pronunciation of these names in the Tamara Pierce name pronunciation guide, and I should have. <laughs> um, On her website, no excuse. Well, there are, there are two, we meet two people that are actual mages, and they were heading on their way to the City of Gods, if you can't tell by my voice about how much I actually believe that. They're heading on their way to the City of Gods, and then there are two merchants that also come and join them from the other room. That was a weird noise I just and made. Tane is given a seat beside Mara at a table across the room and opposite a four less important guests. The kids' so, table. Yeah, there's there's like a high table up here, and that's Yolaine and Belden and Numir and Tristan, and then there's the merchants and the visitors over here, and then the room is Dane and Mara by themselves. Which I feel bad because that must mean that most nights, like, Mara's probably eating by herself. Mm -hmm. At what point does Mara just go, I'm just going to go eat in my room? Like, this is ridiculous. But then again, like, maybe that's the only time she actually gets to see people. So that's why she does it. I don't think Yolaine would let her do that because then the propriety of having the, the royal family dine in the dining hall is now not exactly okay good point good point i didn't think about that her and her it all has to be done this way girl 
Not just not. Yes, and Mara Mara's gonna lay all this out for us. My sister doesn't want servants eating here as they did when I was alive. She says the king doesn't eat with his servants, so we won't either. That made the servants angry, so they take their time bringing meals. I love that. Dude, if you, at this time period, if you tick off your servants, there are so many things they can do to make your life miserable. Mm-hmm. Not the least is cold food. I do want to jump back to one thing when they were introducing um, the, the two mages. Mm-hmm. Is Alamed uh, makes the comment of, we'd heard you were the Tortalan King's pet mage. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, when I hear somebody called a pet something so in this case a pet mage it makes me feel like that person is not quite as talented in that title but is there because they know how to work person that they're attached to yeah so this kind of gives off the feeling that they don't think he's that great of a mage well yeah they don't think he's a great mage i agree with that and that probably he like I don't uh, hold on. The way I see that is because he's a black robe. They know he's a black robe, but he's not got people trash talking. Practical. That's what I was going for. That people are trash talking him too. (laughs) Yeah, calling someone a pet—that is definitely a disrespectful. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, you're just the like you can you're just the teacher's pet. You only get great grades because you're the teacher's pet. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, no. But Numair is like, yep. I'm just a dumb court mage. I just hang out by King Jonathan all day. Don't do anything. Yeah. I can turn a stone into bread. (laughs) That's about it. I'll make a comment about that later. (laughs) When we get there, I have have thought. Yeah, no, I like, thanks for pointing that out, that pet mage. And it shows that they... They don't think very highly of Numair. So even if they do respect that he is powerful, they don't think that he has any sort of common sense to use that in any way that's a threat to them. Oh, if only they yeah. knew. Well, it's, I guess it's a good thing they don't know. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad they don't know. <laughs> um, so, and Dane's like, why does it matter how the king eats? And Mara's like, well, apparently we're related. Yolaine keeps saying that we could maybe get the crown someday if only Jonathan hadn't married. <laughs> And Dane's like, yeah, he's young and hot. He was going to get married. And the queen is really young and has had a lot of kids. I think you're not going to get the crown. Just yeah, just a guess. Well, and, and it's so weird how worried they are about how the king should act when the king currently does not act that way from what we've seen. Yeah, all the things that they're like talking about and whatnot, it's like, that's not the way that, no, that's not what he does at all. Well, and I I'm would sh- say probably servants don't eat with the king, but that's the, just the, because the castle is huge. The amount of people that King Jonathan probably has to entertain on a nightly basis, it probably is not feasible. Yeah. But we've also seen King Jonathan and Thyat taking meals in their office with members mm-hmm. of the writers, Thyat in the writers' mess hall. So clearly they're not the kind of royalty that often stand on ceremony. Mm-hmm. But they do it when they have to. And then the rest right. of the time, they're just like, I right, cool. Yeah. And then when the they... pink tissue dress incident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I not really wanted. Well, I was gonna. <laughs> I really wanted this to be Dane's like pink tissue dress incident. Almost. <laughs> I realized it wasn't going to be nearly as cute of a dress, but still, it would have been really funny to like have that in there. 
That would have been nice. All right. So they have this meal. Dane talks to Mara. They meet some mice, and the mice are very nice. We like them. Well, I like that Dane actually talks to Mara because when she does, she gets a different look. Y'all remember that kind of cold, like snobby description I gave of her earlier? Dane gets a new look of the girl now that she's actually talked and communicate. Now that she's had an open mind to have a conversation with her. The girl's brown eyes were large and frank under limp bangs, and freckles adorned her cheeks and pug nose. Perhaps to preserve her ivory skin, Lady Elaine never went into the sun, but her sister was a different kind of female. She's noticing that she has way more things in common with Mara now that she's actually taking time to sit there and look at her and actually get to know her and, again, open mind. The incident with the mice is super cute, though. <laughs> I love the mice. And I like that she's described as having frank eyes. So her mm-hmm. eyes are open. She's very honest. She's noticing things around her. And she's not afraid to call it out. She just has very little power because she's a 10-year-old. Yeah. And we see how her sister thinks anybody younger than her is or anybody of a lower status is. So I love Dane says, your sister doesn't sound like a nice person. She isn't, was the matter-of-fact reply. She cares about how old our family is and how close to the throne we are, not about taking care of Benlap and looking after our people. And Belden's as bad as she is. And then um, later she's like, oh, uh, she says, I have to think of our house and our honor. I care more than she does. She thinks it's a big secret, but I know what's going on with her and Tristan. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I think there's some shady stuff going on with her and Tristan that is not just about the mining. What? That's crazy. I think there's some, you know, married people activities going on outside of someone's marriage here. Sorry, that's how I to use it when I talk about it in my because if you say sex to 11th graders, they all start giggling. <laughs> well, we read the say- principle. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say with the mouse thing, the mouse says, if you feed me, I'll be your friend, basically. And I was like, hey, maybe I'm a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I like to Mara, Mara's food is warm because the servants actually like her, so they try she's to keep nice hot. and she cares. She's a nice person. Yeah. Well, and yeah. she used to play with the kids in the village before Yole made her stop. Like she's not at all pretentious. There's that propriety again. Mm-hmm. So they finish eating. A bard comes in, and then Dane is like, "I'm gonna have to stand up and talk for the wolves." Great. This is what I wanted to do tonight. And then this this made me laugh. Dane gets up and numerous. Mm-mm. he's shaking his head and he's like mm, nope 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 and she's walking forward and he's like emphatically pointing at her chair <laughs> go sit down yeah but she does it she gets up and she talks and she vies for the wolves for the valley for the animals in the valley the fish the elk the deer the rabbits everything trying to say hey y'all are killing the valley like you need to stop she even and if you don't the wolves will do something dr- drastic Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of, there's, there's a lot in this passage I thought was really interesting because first she, she forces herself to do this because she's like, the wolves don't understand about embarrassment or shame. So I have to do this. I have already changed their lives. They are trusting me and I have to speak for them. And I, I feel that responsibility sometimes as a teacher where I'm like, no, I have to protect my students right now from whatever weird thing is going on whether it's forcing them to follow school rules that are there for their protection or whether it's going to argue about 
what should be on this test or not. You know, they don't understand all the politics that go on behind the scenes. So I have to figure out the way to do what's best for them. Yeah. And sometimes you have to argue for what's best for them and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And it's never easy, especially when you have the entire rest of your department sitting there telling you what to do. (laughs) At least in my case. And then we get this side note where they're like, well, how do you even know what the wolves think? And Numenor's like, she has wild magic. And the rest of them basically laugh. Yeah, they start make they go from making fun of her to making fun of Numer. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you and you know, I thought you would have gotten past that concept of wild magic already. Because what Car Carthac, they're taught that there is no such thing as wild magic. Mm-hmm. There's only the gift. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they even Gisa says, You're too old to pursue fables. <sighs> so condescending. And then Yolaine doesn't understand any of this magic theory stuff. So she's like, But it's just wolves. What are they gonna do? Are they gonna pee on the wall? Yeah. Are they gonna piddle on my slipper? And we get this terrible quote from Tristan, the suppose for a moment, just a moment, that you're right. Do you think we can't deal with a pack of wolves? Brute creation is in the world to serve man, not the other way around. This valley is ruled by humans. I wonder who enslaved the ogres. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like somebody who uh, does what he's preaching. So this was a really interesting part to me. And it, this is where a lot of that like religion and ethics came to mind and my thoughts on the class I took because the Genesis narrative has often been used uh, within Christianity has often been used to justify the exploitation of land of animal um, in order to make money because in the Bible it talks about God created everything and made man master of it but when you go back and you look at older translations and and what the words mean there the word is actually steward not master And so it says that humans are to be stewards of the animals and of the earth. And if you know what a steward, a steward is not the king. And that's the whole thing in Lord of the Rings. The steward takes care of things until the king comes back. The steward makes sure everyone is fed and thriving. And so often humans use religion to justify just taking and not making sure that the land is thriving and that the animals are thriving and that they are cared for and fed. And I get so frustrated with that because my understanding of the text, of this religious text, is that humans are stewards. And that's what Mara's vision for this is. Mara wants to take care of her people. She wants to provide for her people. And Dane points out that what Yolaine is doing is sort of stewardship. Yolaine is poisoning the water. She's cutting down the forest. They can't get wood. They can't hunt in the forest. They're not getting the food they need. If they even have the farms, there's not enough farms to feed all the people in the valley. The people are going to starve. Yeah, and you see time and time and time again throughout history when people are greedy, whether it's for oil or mining or whatever, they are destructive they end up losing more than they ever received. And I'm seeing that, and again, we're from Texas, so we see the oil industry everywhere. We have seen the destruction that it's done. I have personally seen the destruction that it's done where it's destroyed people's farms and it's destroyed everything else because they said, oh, we can make money by putting whatever on here. And they've mm-hmm. their land is now completely useless and they're sitting on it and the oil's dried up. It's a thing and that's... A good steward not finds stewardship, a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a good steward finds a way so everyone thrives. Mm-hmm. You can log in a forest sustainably. <clears throat> yes. There are probably ways to even get oil 
slower, probably more expensive ways that don't ruin land. Frankly, there are better energy options out there, but that's a different discussion. Well, and with that, we get Dane even tries to appeal, appeal, not appeal, appeal to their selfishness. Think Mm -hmm. selfishly, Dane said, trying to make these arrogant two-leggers see what she meant. You can't go on this way. Soon you will have no forest to get wood from or to hunt game in. Your poison waters you drink and bathe and fish in. Even if you keep the farms, they won't go. Won't be enough to feed you if the rest of the valley's laid waste. You'll starve. Your people will starve unless you buy from outside the valley, and that's fair expensive. You'll ruin Dunlap. And then that's the end of it. Yolaine's not even listening. She's like, why are you judging me? How dare yeah. you tell me how to rule my kingdom, mm-hmm. you ho. And even even Tristan made a comment, and I pulled a quote from this, and you're going to laugh at the, the source of this quote, but <laughs> um, he says the valley is ruled by humans. And, mm-hmm. and the quote that I pulled is, the arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control and not the other way around, from it- Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm listening to Jurassic Park right now. I'm pretty sure I could find a few good Ian Malcolm quotes if I tried. There, there's a similar Michael Crichton is another mm-hmm. very good person who wants to respect nature in his books, but he'd have he'd have a, a similar quote, I bet. Yeah. But it's just it's interesting to see that we think that nature is in our control, but as soon as we let something go back to nature, within very short amount of time, nature takes it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are even, constantly in a fight to to push nature back. Yeah, even while we're doing stuff and using it or whatever, our homes we're constantly having to mow the grass. We've got you know weeds and flowers coming up between concrete. Like we are not in control. We are pretending to have control. Yeah. Well, this is what I end up writing about a lot um, in my fairy papers is looking at how fantasy reflects the human relationship with nature. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at really really old fantasy everyone's scared of fairies they are terrifying and this is when nature is scary and terrifying and you are at nature's mercy for when your crops come and if there's you know debilitating storms that wipe you out Um, and then as humans progress you can see the fairies and literature changing to becoming more tamed and more within human control and they're not scary things anymore they get smaller they become more benevolent and we see the natural world is slowly like taken over by humans through the Victorian era and humans have basically just made almost everything natural is like, oh, well, that's just ours. We can just do what we want with it. And then more recently in, in fairy literature, we see a return to wild fairies. Fairies are scary again. They are amoral. They're messing with humans. humans. And yet in so many of those books, the person who is our hero, our main character, is human or part human or was once human and is now a fairy. And so there's still that thread of like, we want to return to wild, but we can't. It's lost. We must feel like we have some element of control over it, something within human hands, even as we pretend that we want things just wild and free the way it always is. That was really cool. Thank you. I have like a whole website about it. Let me know if you're interested in more. <laughs> well, what I is your website? So fascinating. The fairy compendium.wordpress.com. There you go. You advertised just... on uh, Mages of the Air. Congratulations. And another another reading note for you is a most natural transformation in the Journal of the Wooden Mill, published 
but Caitlin Lee. That's my article I published last year. That's um, awesome. But yeah, I just, I think it's interesting because the fantasy and books, right, they reflect us. They're a mirror that we hold up to our society. And so if you look at the treatment of different elements, you can see what does society care about right now and what are the bigger trends. Yeah, I, uh, you can also do the same thing if you look at Westerns throughout history. Like the Western, West the mm-hmm. if you look at the Western genre throughout the start of film to where we are now, pretty interesting. <laughs> you mm-hmm. studied fairies. I studied westerns. Art. Yes, I Art own a horse less. and a cowboy hat. <laughs> you only have one cowboy hat. Yeah, I usually wear baseball caps because they're more reasonable. Ponytails like are an issue. Baseball cap. <laughs> so Dane tries to make this point to Yolen. Yolen is not happy. Numer makes their excuses and they head back down and they go to bed. And Dane is like, I had to talk. I couldn't just leave without saying anything. Broke thing wouldn't understand. And Numer is like, I know. And he's like, you don't do things without thinking. I wish I was more like you. And Dane says, what? What What did we do? And he's like, mm, we pretty much walked into a trap. But that's okay. We'll figure it out. Go to bed. Yeah, he tried to get, like, somebody tried to poison him. Or give him oh. nightshade or whatever it was. I don't even remember. don't know that yet. Yeah, yeah. he claims that a bit later. Oh, dang it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well hey welcome to back. a bit later <laughs> Aang comes back kitten is like did you have fun in dragon language and Aang <laughs> was like no it was awful and I hated it and she hangs up the dress and goes to sleep and then like two minutes later Numer's in there going Dane wake up Dane we gotta go and Dane is like what time is it Numer says it's just past midnight pack we're leaving and she's really confused, but she trusts Numer, so she runs down and gets the horses saddled. They wrap up their hooves with fabric and they hit the road. And poor spots, man. <laughs> this made me laugh. <laughs> Dane's like, he wants he wants uh, silence over speed, so you should be okay. Spots is like, that's good because if I went any faster, he'd fall off. Oh my gosh. And it's like, well, do what you can to make him less tense. Spots is like, I'm a riding horse, not a god. <laughs> The, the entire interaction with Spots, the the way Dane and, and Spots talk, it's like they're training Numer and not Spots. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Every time. Hey, that's the horse you want, though. <laughs> so they get across the trees and Numer stops to bury something in the earth really quickly. They start riding on and he starts explaining to Dane what's happened. And so he says he needs to get out of here and warn King Jonathan. Dane is like, well, Tristan said he didn't work for the Emperor anymore. And Numer goes, in addition to his other talents, he is an accomplished liar. Don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. Right. And then Dane, then why did he let us go? Surely he knew when he saw you that there'd be trouble. You you can say the thing that I've already spoiled if you want to. That's totally where it works out. <laughs> Numer, he let us go because he dumped enough night bloom powder in my wine to keep me asleep for a century. So that's not just sleeping powder. That's like poison. That's killing powder. At that point, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's comatose level dosage from the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he thinks he's killed Numer Salmaline. We'll see if that works out for him. Which again goes back to my point of they're underestimating him. They think he's just a pet mage. I agree. And I think that's something that plays to his... I mean, he's really talented, but still I think that's something that plays to his advantage a lot is that he always gets underestimated. Well, and I liked this. Dane is like, did you drink it? And he's like, of course not. Those years of working sled at hand tricks in every common room and village square between Karthik and Chorus weren't wasted. The wine ended up on the floor under the table. 
And Dana's like, uh, he should have known you'd seen it. And then this was such a cool description. Not particularly. When we were students, I had no skill in the detection of drugs or poisons. I knew nothing practical. People are impressed I'm a black robe mage from the Imperial University, but black robe studies cover esoterica and not much else. Yes, I can change a stone into a loaf of bread if I want to be ill for days, and if I don't care that there will be a corresponding upheaval elsewhere in the world. Much of the practical magic I've learned, I acquired here in Torch. Which I think is awesome. Well, and just that picture, like, I don't want to sound like anti-intellectual. I'm incredibly intellectual and all about school. But often what people learn in school is not necessarily what is needed for life. And people can be very, very good at school and not be very successful in the real world. Book smart versus street smart. Right. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with being book smart, but you've got to have some common sense as well. Well, it's... it's, um... Sheldon. Sheldon is incredibly book smart, but he doesn't in at least in the beginning of the series, you don't see him getting how to communicate with people, which I mean, yes, his smarts got him a lot of places, but if he had to find a job anywhere else, <laughs> I don't know if he could do it because he just can't make those connections with people unless somebody was willing to take the chance on him. Yeah, I'm happy Sheldon. you put in the thing about him learning all the stuff from Tortal because I definitely had notes on that. And I was like yeah, no, I really liked that. And and again, they're like, oh, Numer, he's so powerful, but he's kind of an idiot. So this is my first read of, of Tamara Pierce. So the, and I'm not as well read on fantasy as, as y'all probably are. I'm more of a science fiction person. But the one thing I liked about that they kind that Tamara Pierce kind of alluded to here is the butterfly effect with magic, which I haven't seen very much in other fantasy that I have read where you do something like change stone into bread. Well, that's, you've changed its matter now. So something else is going to happen somewhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like that. It's, everything has a consequence to it, kind of. Right. Um, right. Magic is not a freebie get out of jail card. It's everything costs. Mm-hmm. Right. Which we see with Dane as she heals. She uses her energies, if not more, sometimes. All right. So she's like, well, can't you just deal with Tristan? And Umer was like, um, there were five mages in there. And Dane is like, what? Oh, I see. Yep. And that's why I specifically pointed out the two people that uh, were merchants. 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 Yeah. <laughs> In there, which I like that Numera actually points that out and tells us because at first I was like, oh, yeah, that's that is a thing, huh? So he also does point out, too, that they were probably the people that killed the Ninth Rider group and the soldiers, which already puts them on my not nice list. So, mm-hmm. And they're probably all working for Emperor Ozorn. And now they're trying to, Dane and Numera are trying to figure out what's in it for him. And as they're thinking about it, Dane has that half-familiar whisper that's like storm wings. And she's like, we gotta get undercover. So they dive under. And these are so interesting. Have you ever seen any animal like this in other books? My first thought were the um, skeleton horse thingies from Harry Potter. The Thestrals, yeah. Thestrals, there we go. Fat wings spread wide to lift a body not made for flight. Long, wedge-shaped heads craned, searching the ground below. They were horses, and something was wrong with their feet. 
and we find out they're called Hurrocks. They have carnivorous fangs and claws, not hooves. And their name is a slurring of horse hop. So, being the fantasy lore person, I researched this. This is a Tamra Pierce original, like Stormwings and Spidrin, Hurrocks. So the closest thing we have, uh, the Thestrals in Harry Potter that are bat-winged skeletal horses that also eat flesh. Mm-hmm. And then it reminded me a little bit of the rock from mythology. And rocks were very large carnivorous birds that would carry off elephants. Question, they are Thestrals actual, like, mythology things? So I wonder, this is probably terrible, if... J.K. Rowling was inspired by the Hurrocks. The Hurrocks from I would be really curious to see if J.K. Rowling actually ever read these books or not. Like to that ask would be her. interesting. Pegasi go pretty far. Like they're in mythology. We see them everywhere. So it's not a, a huge jump to go from a horse with bird wings to a horse with with bat wings. Um, particularly as we draw dragons with very bat like wings. So yeah. I don't know if there's a connection there, but I did find some more carnivorous horses. We have the mares of Diomedes in Greek mythology and their carnivorous horses, and Hercules has to get them. That's one of his 12 tasks. Oh, that's the flood the thing. I know that because of the Percy Jackson series. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and Jackson, they're fire-breathing carnivorous horses. The fire-breathing kind of depends on which myth you're looking at, but typically they're involved with the Hercules myth. And then, as I did more research, see if you knew this one, Tracy, Apparently, people have caught their horses eating things like rabbits and birds. And someone even said they watched a horse kill and eat a goat. Don't know if I believe that one. I've seen horses eat everything. They get like they get into more than what they probably should. Hans actually has a story where they threw out a bunch of meat. Like this is way back when they threw out a bunch of meat in front of a game camera, and what actually came after it were the cows. So um, that doesn't surprise me at all that that was a thing. I've I've seen horses, but I've also seen horses kill like coyotes and stuff like that, or other predator creatures, and they don't touch it. Once they kill it, they're all like, they might pee on it, but they don't touch it. Like, yeah. Yeah, what I was reading up said horses are, they're grazers. They need to eat a lot. And if their stomachs get empty, they're likely to colic or founder. Mm-hmm. And so they always have to have food moving through their system. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't have enough food, they'll go chew on other stuff like wood. Or if a mouse or a rabbit has wandered into their enclosure, they might stamp on it and gnaw on it for a little bit. But it's more that they just always need food coming in. And their bodies can process meat but their bodies are designed to process vegetables. So the urban legend of carnivorous horses, some horses will eat meat. And there was, there was one of, uh, in a Scottish Highland, they would put out salted fish for the horses in the winter when there wasn't enough meat. And then on one of the Arctic expeditions, they said they fed the horses blubber and dried meat and stuff to keep them fed and alive. So in a pinch, horses will eat meat, but they do prefer grass and hay. That's interesting. I wonder if it, they can only do it for like a certain time or because there is like once horses get to a certain age, it's a lot harder to switch up their food and you have to be more careful with what they eat and stuff like that. I wonder if it's their systems can handle it for X amount of years and then they're good or not. I'm sure it has to do a lot with the health of the horse, too, overall. 
Yeah. And how quickly you can get them back on, you know, actual horse rations. But eating meat does not kill them. And alfalfa. (laughs) And occasionally horses do eat meat. But the Hurrocks are particularly terrifying because they are all carnivore. Mm -hmm. They look like horses. They are predators. Mm -hmm. There's my lecture. (laughs) My second one. I think my third lecture for this podcast. I think it's your third one, this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to shut up now. You can take us the rest of the way. So on page 83, if you're reading with us, <laughs> right before they walk up, Dane actually senses the wolves and she's like, hold up, new mare, we need to wait for these guys because they're going to be right here. So right after they see the Hurrocks, they Dane senses the wolves and she goes, yo, date, or like, she's like, new mare, hold up, we need to wait for the wolves. So they meet up with the pack and Numer realizes that they are being searched for. They realize that they're missing and they're being searched for and that's why the Hurrocks are running around. But he's like, I got an insurance plan. Let's do this. And he does magic. And poor Spots is so uncomfortable with this magic because he does it on top of Spots. <laughs> but the gelding is... Points of white spilling out of his palms, arcing up and around him. That's what Spots is dealing with. This is not just a little, like, most kind of spell. Oh, Numera is literally wrapped in a shroud of glittering fire. <laughs> poor spot he's such a patient and good gelding though he really is and he does he appreciates all of dane's compliments when it comes to that but he what he's doing is he's actually releasing these simulacrum right that's what they're called or as dane calls it whatchamacallum um which this is the one i say that all the time <laughs> All the time. I say it so much that when I was in high school, one of my teachers actually bought me a whatchamacallit bar because I, anytime I couldn't think of a word, I'd be like, it's, it's the, it's the whatchamacallit, like whatever. And he was like, oh, it's like the candy bar. And yeah, it would, I, I have never heard of the candy bar and I'm 95% sure I got it out of this book because I say that way too much. Those are good candy bars though. They are good candy bars. Now that I've actually had one, thanks to my English teacher in high school. It was very good candy bars. And Numer's like, now there's three of me you have to find. Ha ha ha. And Cloud, Cloud with her horses, like, um, Dane is only with one of you. And Numer is like, ha, but that's where I'm a genius. The magical cloak on my simulacrum. It's very large and very sloppy, enough to cover more than one person. Just the thing. A sheltered academic like me would have for concealment since I'm unused to field work. And then, of course, I love the quote that we get after this. It has been highlighted a hundred times, apparently, on the Kindle version of this book. (laughs) Magelet, one thing I've learned is that humans cling to the... Ah, one thing I have learned is that humans cling to their first knowledge of you, particularly if they have no experience of you once you've changed. Which most of these people haven't seen him since he left Karthak. Mm-hmm. This is so called confirmation there. bias. And it is yep. very dangerous in our brain. They still see him as the book-bound idiot. Mm-hmm. Or the uh, what, king's pet. <laughs> and I love, they know you handled immortals for the king. Wouldn't they see you must have learned something practical by now? And he's like, no, no, no. It's not the way Here's that works. Here's how humans work. And it's true. That is how humans work. Mm-hmm. So while this is all going on, Dane explains to Brokefang, hey, yo, friend, we got to leave. We have to go tell the king so the king can come back here and stop all of this. We tried. I talked to them. They didn't want to listen to me. I am so sorry. And Brokefang 
just he has this look in his eyes. So Dane takes a second and goes I mean she doesn't go into his mind she just kind of reads his mind is the way I would phrase it and she sees that he's afraid genuinely afraid that he has all of these thoughts going in and out of his head he's thinking about the future and he's thinking about the past which as she said earlier is not something animals will typically do she knows he knows that there's a finality in his life not only his life but his pack's life and his pup's life and the like everybody he realizes this and understands this and poor dane pulls out of that and she goes if you could get headaches you would have one heck of a headache right now dude i'm sorry so then she turns to numer and says i have to stay and, and to me huh this almost looks like an anxiety attack oh yeah which is what like you remember in chapter one where he kind of has the same thing where he's sitting there and he has all these questions going through his head. I agree. I think Brooke Fang's probably suffering through anxiety right now with everything that's going on. So oh. you can't make your brain shut up. Even when you know the truth, your brain is not telling you true things. And it's overwhelming. And I, I love that we get such a clear picture of that. And instead of being like, oh, I guess you just have to deal with it, Dane is like, oh, dude. No, I'm here. I'm hunkering mm -hmm. down with you in this hard place. And of course, Numer tries to say, no, you're going to come with me. And she's like, mm, yeah, no, no, I'm staying. I caused this. I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get the my favorite line of the uh, whatchamacallits. <laughs> no, that's what she says in the book. I know. On page. Whatchamacallums. Yeah, whatchamacallums. She thinks she's going to stay. Numira's like, I'll make you come. And she's like, maybe you could, maybe you can't. But while we find out, Tristan is going to see you doing something. You're watching McCollins work. So she calls his bluff there. Mm -hmm. and, and that like shows how scared Numera is because that's that battle Dana's constantly facing. Do I put my will on these creatures and force them to do what I want? And we were like, oh, Numera can do that to people. Yeah. That's scary. Numer's kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> he is yeah. super powerful and a lot of people don't realize it. Mm -hmm. So with that. Semi <laughs> Lacra, he corrected automatically. <laughs> Numer is like, I've got to tell you the right way to say that. Dang it. <laughs> Which is not what my English teacher did. My English teacher usually just looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That was the reaction that would happen in my history class or in my English class in high school. There we go. There's an H word. Dane tells Numer, she said, go. Numer's like, okay, fine. Don't do anything to get in trouble. Don't go to this. Don't go to the valley. Don't go to the castle. Don't do anything to get in trouble. I swear if you do, what does he actually say? He says, stay on the mountainsides. Keep moving. Leave the forts alone, the castle, the village, everything understand otherwise i will chain you in the worst dungeon i can find when i get my hands on you again it's very touching threats i love it yeah. i think it's great Out the cockles of your heart that reminds <laughs> me of of the threat that your parent would make i brought you into this world and i can take you out of it type of threat <laughs> that's exactly what it is it's like i showed you how to use your magic i'll make it so you don't anymore <laughs> Mm -hmm. so we get that 
And Dane sends Mangle along with them so that he can get some time away from the wolves, that poor horse. <laughs> so this is a good stopping point because now Dane is on her own. Numair mm-hmm. is leaving. She's got to learn how to to cope with what's going on. And you know, you know she's not going to just quietly hang out in a cave with the wolves. She doesn't so. have the patience for that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the Maybe wolves don't have that. the patience for that. <laughs> Nope. We'll find out what happens next week on Mages of the Air. Today's Mages of the Air episode was brought to you by. <laughs> one day. One day. Where's like? <laughs> yeah, no, I like this. I like these this section because we do see we see Dane maturing. We see her practicing her magic. We get a little more about Numera's background. So we nice. get a little more about Emperor Ozorn as well. Mm-hmm. And then lots of good philosophy and ethics and just stuff to think about packed into these books that's why and and i think that's one of the big reasons like i really wanted to cut them down more and do like two episodes at a time was or not two episodes two chapters at a time was because to me there was so much to talk about like once i actually started like breaking it down i was like oh my gosh there's a lot (laughs) aaron what was your impression we just handed you these books and we're like these are ya novels about a 14 year old doing magic read them (laughs) What were you expecting? What's been different than your expectations? I was expecting a lot more, well, a lot less philosophy, a lot more, I can do magic because it's magic. <laughs> that's, that's usually what, I, what I've seen in any YA fantasy novel I've, or science fiction novel I've picked up is I can do this thing because it's a thing. Whereas in these, it's very much a, I can do these things. I can't control it very well, but I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's like a lot more philosophy. That's part of what I love about fantasy and sci-fi, though, is they ask philosophical, philosophical, <laughs> they ask these deep questions. They, they question ethics and morality, but they do it in a way that's non-threatening. So I don't feel preached at. But I'm also learning. Sorry, guys. I was I had a really upset face about the fact that <laughs> no, and it's not that my tea is gone. It's that I have like a little teeny tiny bit left, and a bug got in it. No. So that's why I was really Philosophy, sad. Philosophy, ethics. There's a bug in my tea. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's another thing. Fantasy doesn't often take itself too seriously, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Pratchett does a really good job of satirizing the world around us without taking himself too seriously and that i don't know that makes you more open to change these are funny light books these dang books they're not these big heavy you know literature type novels but i'd argue that they are more effective than literature in a lot of ways because they reach more people and they just kind of sink that into your brain these values i agree no, I completely agree. They're they're easy to read. They're they have a lot of material in them. They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of influence and they're not I I feel like at least my teachers growing up were very, "Oh, you want to read that? That's, you know, I'm not going to say it's trash, but like they would definitely not think highly of it." And going back through and reading it, mm-hmm. some of the things that we've talked about are I think great topics that could have that I think teachers could have used to teach me a lot of different things that I ended up teaching myself because I found the books. 
<laughs> Yay! Not every, not every YA fantasy or sci-fi novel does grapple with this kind of stuff. No, not at all. Um, I've read plenty Hunger of trash. It's got a lot of cool mythology and tie-ins, but I don't see the same level of discourse in Percy Jackson. Yeah. No, the big thing with Percy Jackson to me is the the way that they handle the way that he handles Greek mythology, which even with that, there they there's so much of it they don't talk about. There's so much of the dark side of mythology they don't talk about in it. And it's done in such a fantastical way that I don't think it's something you could actually really teach. But the cool thing about Percy Jackson to me is the way all of the stories interconnect. Um, once you get past Percy Jackson and read the Roman series and read, you know, like all of them together, it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so oh, they're fun. I've, I've read everything he's published. I love yeah. his work. You should listen to the audio book. Super good. Like mm-hmm. I listen to that one when I run. It's really nice. But Tamara Pierce is always going to have a special place in my heart. Just, these are homecoming books, and they are books that so shaped who I am. And uh, it's been really interesting on the Tamara Pierce fan group on Facebook this week. People have been writing Dear Tamara Pierce letters, just talking about how she's affected their lives. And you've seen a lot of people coming from conservative, religious backgrounds, from abusive backgrounds, from all kinds of places that just found freedom in her books. And even as someone who is still consider myself religious, I definitely don't have the same conservative understanding of faith that I did when I first encountered these books. And I do think these helped me open up my mind and keep an open mind, as Numair is encouraging Dane to do, um, about people who think differently than me. And I think that's been really good. I agree. All right. So book recommendations for the week. Any other thoughts on this? Are we ready for books? No, I, th- I think we're good. I think book recs can go. If I could remember that fish one, I would throw that one in there because it was actually really interesting. All right. So I've got Beyond the Law, Humans and Other Animals in a Biopolitical Frame by Carrie Wolf. It's a heavier text. It's academic, but it's really interesting. And it looks at animal intelligence and where animals fit in our world. What are they owed ethically, politically, all that stuff. I also grabbed a couple that... that the human destruction of the land really grabbed my imagination. So I grabbed a few of my dystopian novels that are in this thing called the Anthropocene. So Anthropocene is this idea that we're in it now. Um, it's a period in history where humans have so inf- influenced and affected the planet that this period of history is just marked by human activity. The anthro part of the Anthropocene. Um, but some novels that kind of point to where we could end up include Mortal Engines. Mortal Engines is about London and the distant future after the 62nd war destroyed most of the earth. Um, And now in this dystopia, cities are on giant treads and they chase one another around the hunting fields in a thing called municipal Darwinism, where bigger cities eat smaller cities to survive. And they're always hunting and looking for resources to keep them alive excellent book series they made a movie the movie doesn't do it justice Um, directed by peter jackson produced by peter jackson produced by peter jackson peter jackson had something to do with it i was expecting it to be better because he was so but i was not my expectations were not met still enjoyed the movie but the books are so much better there's four of them guys so mortal engines by philip reeve um, and I also pulled a few that are more on the adult fiction side. So 
I don't know, like, I would not hand these to high school students or younger. Um, one is called The Wind-Up Girl by Paolo Bacigalupe, and the other is Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, and both of them look in, into the future when people are more food insecure, um, climate change has caused more and more problems, and in Wind-Up Girl, we follow this character and their robot girl as they navigate a city that's being torn apart by people are like getting into seed banks and it's all this kind of scary post-apocalyptic world and then oryx and crake is a margaret atwood classic she wrote handmaid's tale and it looks it goes back and forth between like right before the apocalypse and then right after it where only one human survived as far as we know um, but it seems like the apocalypse might have been engineered in order to allow the animals to come back and like restore the earth. So that asks a lot of questions about like, what is a human's worth? What is the human's role in regard to animals in the natural world? And, you know, can we hopefully come to a better solution than kill all the animals or kill all the humans? That'd now? be wonderful. Those are your... Do what? I said that would be wonderful. <laughs> That'd be nice. So those are a little bit heavier. The the model engines ones are really fun. So those were the books I thought of this week while we were reading. I am gonna throw in Jurassic Park, just because mm -hmm. it does have a lot of really good quotes about the environment and trying to control it and how really you just shouldn't. That and is... apparently Godzilla had some of that in there too. Yep. If you want to go with movie Rex, Godzilla. <laughs> Those are all, both two things we talked about today. So I think that's our show for today. If you liked what you heard, please go and leave us a review. Five-star reviews really help us, you know, share the podcast, grow the community, and reach more people. If you don't feel like we're five-star yet, that's fine. Please send us a message and let us know what we can do better before you write that review. Um, work on improving. You can reach out to us on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are Mages of the Air. Till next time, I'm Katie. And I'm Tracy. And I'm Erin. And we are Mages of the Air. And we welcome to Torchlight.